Just give me that countryside. Episodes uh, Free Farm Friday available as individual podcast at crusademax.com and many of them at crusadechannel.com. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for a Free Farm Friday, why not send me an email? <gasps> no, don't do that. Yes, do that. I am King Dude at ProtonMail.com. And uh, we have just a few minutes remaining in the broadcast here today to try to get to our fundraising crowdfunding goal for July of 1,000 smackaroos. That'll be halfway of what we need to get to by the end of next week. So please go to CrusadeChannel.com forward slash donate. All right, I have a um, a couple of, uh, of of topics here for the Free Farm Friday today. Um, uh, you know, we, we we could talk about what we were talking about just a moment ago um, about the transportation of things from point A to point B. You know, I told someone the other day uh, uh, about Mitter Mondays eat by the season, and uh, and and I said, you know, if, if you if if you think about it, and you you you, you think about the transportation of, of fruits and vegetables and what have you here, it makes total sense. You would eliminate much of the need, no, not to say you couldn't have it, to transport, especially produce, from points A and point B to, to wherever it needs to go. But you then have to have a, 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 pop, a population that would then be willing to eat like that. Um, what are you going to tell Papa John's pizza? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these fast food restaurants truck all that stuff from central locations all around the United States. So that's one of the uh, uh, subjects. We talk about bees. We can talk about uh, pollination and all sorts of other things. But I thought that maybe today, since we haven't really defined it, everyone is terrified and is avoiding like it is the great aluminum, uh, aluminum baking powders uh, uh, poisoning scare 2023. This thing called GMO. Most people don't even know what it means. What do the letters stand for? So let's uh, bring in our master farmers, Brian K. from Wharton, Texas, and Mitter Dan Monday from Monday Farms up in central New Jersey. Uh, Mitter Monday, what does GMO stand for? Genetically modified organism? Oh, yes. Well, it wasn't a trick question. I wasn't trying to trip you up. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, yes, it is a genetically modified organism. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it was developed by the Genesis Project. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, Brian out loud, Monday. Why are you, why are you talking? Coach, Mr. Tell me what's really going on here with this. What's really going on here with this? It's another method of... Number one, assisting in your logistical transportation. That's one of the ways that they've used to try to make things ripen at certain times or have certain stability or whatever to, to be able to handle the, the transportation issues. And uh, another big aspect of it is to try to make things more resistant to diseases. And, and they're doing it in, you know, in the lab. You know, it, it, 
it's a very broad term. You want to sit there and say, well, we've genetically modified things since the day we started <clears throat> privately or, or uh, domestically breeding and, and, and cultivating things. So, uh, you know, a wild turkey versus a, a domestic turkey. You know, we, we've done that to a lot of them. You've heard me talk about that quite a bit. But uh, a lot of this uh, of the last several decades has gotten to the point where we're doing serious manipulation to the gene pool and to what we're and not only narrowing the gene pool, but we're also you know, adding the frog DNA and a few other things. I think that was when I sent in a, a top potential topic. Now we're putting um, uh, pig pig. Uh, uh, genetics into beans, <laughs> into, into soybeans. I mean, you know, and it's not, you know, and we and we're doing it, you know, with frog DNA. They didn't tell you that part. So, it, 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 to suggest that that you know, in, in a general sense, are are attempting to breed and to adapt certain things to certain climates and to certain environments is not a bad thing. But if we're going to be doing it in a laboratory, and then somebody's going to own the patent. And then they're going to force it on uh, the farmer because that's always going to have available to buy. Uh, and that just creates up a whole dynamic that I certainly do not like. Now, now, now there's another component to this. Uh, let's bring uh, Mr. Brian Koch in here. So, uh, Brian, uh, when you do genetically modify something to be resistant to, let's just say it's a, a, a kind of a regionalized or local bug or, or a fungus or some sort of a, uh, a bacteria or maybe a little tiny mite that grows in that particular soil in that region there, uh, you're then depriving that part of the food chain of its food supply. That's going to have consequences too, isn't it? Yeah, you'll turn around to turn it into where it's attacking some, something else. And I think we're seeing that in a, in a lot of these things. But, uh, First off, uh, before I go any deeper, I just needing to find a recipe for cooking poisonous mushrooms in aluminum foil <laughs> while wearing <laughs> aluminum deodorant. Oh, <laughs> Dude, you just covered all the bases. <laughs> Okay, so what he's talking about is these uh, toadstools that are growing in my yard because of the uh, uh, generous amount of rain, not excess, generous amount of rain that we've had. And Mrs. O'Connell took a picture. I'm going like, can I cook these and feed them to TKD? And somebody went like, well, if you're trying to collect a life insurance policy, you can. <laughs> the, the petty fogging was at an absolute... Uh, in that in that moment, so I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Do, do you, anyway. But there is a uh, okay. Stay on the subject of fungus for just a moment here. Um, there is a mushroom that it grows around here. I'm not sure if it grows in uh, in your neck of the woods. Uh, what is it? It shun chintrel. You familiar with a chintrel mushroom? Oh, I've heard of it. Is it is it an edible? Yes, yeah, completely edible. It's yeah. delicious. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the weird thing about it. It doesn't grow in the ground. It mm -hmm. only grows on the barks of downed trees. I want to say it only grows on the barks of downed pine trees. Does it grow on the ground? Here it does. Okay, well, you mainly see it growing on a, on a fallen tree. You'll see, it, especially one that's begun to decay, you'll see it growing on uh, the decaying bark of the tree. It's, it's, it's light orange in color. 
uh, and it's prizes, and it only grows like right now. You can go find them right now until it gets until the first frost, and then they're gone. Uh, so it's a yearly thing. Dan Mundy would love this because you could include this in a southern diet. Uh, but local chefs here, Brian, prize the chanterelle, and they know people that that you know that, that, that they can rely on. That will provide the chanterelle, and then every summer, like if you go to a restaurant right here in Lacombe, Louisiana, called La Provence, you go to La Provence, that chef will have dishes that include chanterelle mushrooms. Uh, if you go to Commander's Palace in New Orleans at the Brennans, uh, chef will have a dish that includes chanterelle mushrooms. And I don't know, Mitter Monday, have you ever heard of a chanterelle? Can you get, do they grow in New Jersey? Oh, yes, definitely they do. I mean, I, I, yes, they are delicious. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to go to Brennan restaurants anymore after what they... Uh, no, after what they did to our boy Ross McKnight. No, we don't do business with the, with the Brennans anymore. Wh- wh- whether, we, whether we confirm that they were one of the ones, but... but uh, we suspect. No, yeah, yeah. Whether it's true or not, and ancient knowledge, my grandfather always told me any mushroom that grows on wood and anyone that is white underneath and the veins underneath is edible and won't kill you. And he used to pick them, and I'm still here. Okay. I'm not a, not a, not a, 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 I am not a mushroom guy, and then I, I claim to have enough knowledge to impart that to other people, so I probably shouldn't even have said that. That's what my grandfather used. But yeah, chanterelles are they're seasonal, and they're out now, and you can find them in a lot of fine restaurants uh, doing local war stuff, yeah. So, uh, that and fiddlehead ferns, if you got them, I'm going to got them down. So, um, so the... the uh, 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 w- we're kind of told here that, oh, that's a native to Louisiana. Now we know that they're not <laughs> native to anywhere. In any event, it's just one of those little uh, things that people go, what's a chanterelle mushroom? If you ever see one, you'll you, you'll know it. It's it, it's orange in color, and as Dan said, it's white underneath. But go, let me go back to Brian and uh, talk about the uh, the disposition of bugs through genetically modified organizations. Um, you know, if you read anything about soil formation and about these little critters that you could fit like uh, half a billion of them on uh, the period of, at an, at the end of a sentence. These things are all necessary to good soil formation and maintenance. If you start genetically modifying things so that that little critter can't eat off of that plant what it used to eat, Brian, what happens to the soil? Well, it starts to degrade and it starts to lose, you know, the microbial diversity that makes it up and uh you know you're you're basically turning it into a sterile uh medium where you have you you almost have to add inputs for anything to to function and grow and that's what we have i mean you know it's it's you can look at across anywhere where you know there's a lot of crop production and stuff and look how you know degraded the soils are now you might still make huge yields and everything but it's all everything's been done to mimic that lab situation and so that's just what it's doing it's just everything's you know been modified to the point to where you couldn't i wouldn't say you couldn't but it makes it difficult for natural processes to carry out like they should 
So for those who say that we're going to develop a genetically modified strain of this or that or the other, uh, this is why people go like, I don't want GMO in uh, in, in my potato chips, for example. Um, and you see more and more of the, the, the uh, larger national distributors of corn chips and potato chips and other snack foods. You know, you see them going like, why would you possibly need? Need genetically modified crap to get into your uh, into your food, and the answer, Brian, and you know it, is because what? It's because of the corn, either the corn or the soybean, one of the two, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you have these certain things that target certain pests that you know go after them, or you know whatever cause destruction of crops. But you know we don't ever look at the side. Uh, you know, the side effects or anything like that. I know uh, it's not so much to do with the genetic makeup, but more of, you know, what the, you know, like the treated seeds and stuff, uh, you know, where they put the, like you buy, say you go buy some sweet corn seed and it's got a pink powder on it. Yes. That's, you know, it's, it's got, it's, that's enough pesticide to kill, you know, 300,000 bees, you know, it's, it's, it's on one seed. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just because they just coat it in there and, and put it in the ground. Well, I was, uh, uh, this is a few years ago, I was, you know, learning, you know, learning about, uh, you know, more about soil health and stuff. And there was a guy who switched, uh, he started using a treated seed in his, in his crops and he started having slug problems. And he had never had slug problems before. Hmm. And he never used a treated seed before. And all of a sudden, he started having slug problems. Well, it turns out that the pesticide on the treated seed was killing the uh, the uh, carni- the uh, beetles that eat slugs. Right. And so the beetles were dead, and then the slugs took over. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it was that unintended consequence because we didn't look at the side effects. And, you know, he lost a corn crop slugs because of you know he killed a beneficial insect so it's <laughs> and it, it wasn't you know it wasn't intentional and that's that's where you start seeing problems like that uh now and uh, I was just going to uh, uh, X or, or throw in here. So when we were in Georgia, we went to this little country store and we were shopping for I mean, they had a wall filled. Name your fruit that you could make, southern fruit you could make a jelly out of, and they made a jelly or a jam out of it. Um, and I I decided to buy a bottle, and I didn't even, I just took it for grant, granted that these were good old boys in Dahlonega, Georgia that were doing this. And that they wouldn't possibly try and sell me something that was fake. So I bought a bottle of something that was called maple pecan syrup. Because I bought a bag of it. And it's actually called Old School Pancake Mix from a company that makes a whole line of old school flowers and grits. And I'll get into that in just a second here. So uh, I got the bottle home uh, or back to the uh, to the cabin. And I made my old school pancakes. And I was excited to pour my old school maple and pecan flavor, uh, my, uh, pecan syrup on it. Only to, uh, when I turned the bottle up and I went, wait, this that's not maple syrup. Because uh, it came out like sludge and then I tasted one like that's not maple syrup either turn the bottle around and again I trusted him I didn't even read the label 
high fructose corn syrup, pecan, and maple flavoring. <laughs> and this is a mom and pop, supposedly, manufacturer. I'm going, like, who even dreams this up? And he even says it has real butter in it. No, it didn't. <laughs> it had butter flavor. So uh, I wanted to throw it away, but Mrs. O'Connell was like, no, we're not throwing it away. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, uh, I was just surprised that this mom and pop company actually made this uh, this uh, kind uh, of syrup product. But apparently it's everywhere. And apparently people do not know the danger of high fructose corn syrup diets. But, but dude, all you got to do is go in public and just, just go anywhere. It doesn't matter where it is. And you will see the result of high fructose corn syrup in the food supply. Oh, yeah, yeah. And literature, please, they probably made a healthy profit off of making that, so don't attack them. <laughs> they made money. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not supposed that, to. That's, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, uh, he, 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 now, the the the, uh, the other jellies, the mayhaw and what was the other berry? The mayhaw and... There were a couple others that didn't have any of that crap in there. Uh, and uh, we're good. So we'll forgive them for the one slide. Here's something else, though, that I that I noticed in this old country store. They had this company purporting to make this old, and it wasn't the old school company, this old-fashioned pancake mix. I almost bought a bag of it, so I tried, let me look at the ingredients. Genetically modified, includes GMO ingredients. So um, I wound up buying two bags, because I didn't think I'd ever see it again, of old school grits. Have you ever made old, I mean, talk, I'm talking original, pre-instant grits, old school grits. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, and I've never made them, but I want to since I'm growing. Dude, it corn. takes yeah. 40 minutes, mm -hmm. and it doesn't come out with a, it's not a fine powder. Uh, it it looks like uh, yeah, yeah okay look like, look, uh, look at Quaker Oats Quaker oatmeal. They have more of a consistency of oatmeal. Yeah it, it, yeah it's a, a, a old school ground hominy grits do not look like Jim Dandy instant grits <laughs> they just yeah. don't but taste oh my lord uh, no comparison you can't compare. Uh, but again, uh, prepare yourself. It takes 40 minutes. You're going to steam them for 40 minutes. Uh, I thought that was interesting that someone actually ruined. We as Southerners have actually ruined the process of making real old-fashioned grits. Yeah, it's, well, that's just what industrialization does. It makes it quicker and efficient to do it, and it fills that package faster, so let's do it. Well, they did, um, uh, but I bought two bags in case I never saw it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you don't need much. It's a one to five. Here's another thing that it gives it away. It's a one to five grits to water ratio. Your instant grits are one to two. Uh, you're not so instant, but are, you know, fast grits or whatever. Your Jim Danny grits are one to four, one to three or one to four. This is one to five. And I can tell you, if you go on a 40-minute cook with a one to five ratio of grits to water, you're going to need that water. Uh, just interesting uh, uh, to, uh, to point that out. I want to go back to, to Mitter Monday because Mitter Monday, you uh, sent this stuff out um, uh, in our kind of show prep email. What's going on with the bees? Why are we losing pollinators? Well, this has been going on for a while. I used to have, I used to have a lot of them died. They were old people but uh, they, that I used to be involved with when I used to 4-H uh, in the fair who were 
parts of the, of the regional apiary associations. <coughs> Excuse me. And about 15 years ago, there was a large issue with a lot of colonies dying, and that had to do with this mite infestation. And they were they were very concerned that it was wiping out these northeast, especially. They seem to get that under control with uh, mostly with chemicals. Now, this latest one that I started reading about, they're blaming a lot of it on pesticides. And as Brian says, you know, we, we keep putting these things in the ground and the water and causing other things. And there's their, you know, they're talking about this past season that they're they've lost uh, uh, half the colonies and and. They're really struggling hard to keep up with them. And let's face it, we don't have beef. And it's not, you know, it's, it, I often wonder, and I have thought about it many years ago getting into it, but like anything else, I don't have so much time, so I didn't feel like wasting more money because I couldn't care of it, uh, getting into the bees. But I, I don't know, when we when we do artificially put them in a hive like everything else, are we, are we compromising something that I do not know a lot of people know and they want to, spread the word, uh, as opposed to them living naturally in a tree trunk or whatever else. But um, if we don't have, you know, a lot of these, even the local farms, I mean, they pay the, the beekeepers to or, or to keep their hives on their fields and at their fields to assist with their pollination as opposed to just wild bees for supplementing. You don't have that. That's going to start uh, having some serious impact on on uh, the, the yield you're going to get off of things. So... It's not a small problem, and I have read other places that it appears to be a worldwide problem, not necessarily just located in the United States, which I, I don't know how much that, you know, you're going to blame that on, on other industrial processes and contamination and chemicals. I don't, I don't know. Well, is the problem in Europe similar to what we're having here? Uh, potentially. Is it a problem in Africa the same as we're having here? I was reading that they're having problems in Africa with uh, well, here, here's one of the uh, studies. This is from Environmental Health Perspectives, Pollinator Deficits, Food Consumption, and Consequences for Human Health. So they did a study, and you can read about this at commondreams.org, uh, Brian K. Here's the results of the study. Um, well, first of all, there are more than 130 fruits and vegetables and nuts that we commonly consume that rely upon bees to pollinate them. A shocking new study found that mass pollinator loss has already caused a half a million early human deaths a year by drastically reducing the global supply of fruits, vegetables, and nuts between April 2018 to 2019. The managed bee population in the U.S. decreased by a stunning 40.7%, which experts call unsustainable. Why is there such a crisis with these vital spark plugs of our food and fiber? X is the author. An overwhelming number of fine scientific studies link these bee declines to pesticides, demonstrating the far-reaching impacts of toxic chemical pesticides have on our environment. Mitter Coker, are you aware that it was this dire of a situation? Uh, yeah. Um, there's a guy, uh, again, uh, learning soil health and, and, and trying to get all the information I could on it. There's a guy I came across, and he's a, actually an entomologist, and he was a, I think he worked for USDA uh, ARS, Agriculture Research Service, and he started, uh, you know, 
showing, hey, these bees are, you know, the glyphosate is killing them. There's the neonicotinoids are killing them. That's what destroyer you know, says, the neonicotinoids. Yeah. Neonicotinoids yeah. are the primary mm-hmm. killer. What is a neonicotinoid? It's a, it's a, uh, it's what's common in most of your pesticides. Okay. So what it is, is a, uh, it's a, uh, gosh, what's a neuro, uh, neuro, a neurological, uh, it affects neurological function of insects. So basically what it does, it, like a bee, it, it, it'll ingest it and then it forgets how to be a bee, basically, and eventually dies. And then, they, you know, when you have a mass infection of the hive, the whole hive dies because they forget how to be bees. So they don't make honey. They don't take care of the queen. They don't do all this stuff. So now, now listen to this, does. Brian, what you said. And uh, this is Amy Van's uh, song reporting at Common Dreams. Neonicotinoids are so toxic that one corn seed treated with them contains enough insecticide to kill over 80,000 honeybees. So your statistic from earlier being repeated by the author of this article. Yeah, they, I think they were a little lower than what I quoted. But, and, and I could be you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong one time. So I know how it feels. But, uh, no, um Going back to that. No, we've never been misquoted. <laughs> oh, no. And there's no one that's checking our facts. No. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. But it's also other, you know, it's not just the neonicotinoids. It's, it's a lot of other things, too. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, we've come to understand that glyphosate, not only does it kill the, the plants, but it kills uh, soil biology, and when it's ingested, I think we're starting to learn that it kills our gut biology well. well you know what, Brian? We're going to run out of time, uh, and I want to get this in. She comes right out and says it. The only solution to this is a complete and total ban on pesticides. Yeah. Oh, face. Yeah. No, she, she says the only solution, many scientists agree, is a complete ban on these pesticides largely responsible for the demise of the bees. You kill the bees. By the way, if I'm reading this study correctly, what the neonicotinoid does to bees, it basically gets them like they shot up heroin. They feel all happy and touchy-feely and stuff, but they don't know how to be a bee. So they just fly around and run into walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. stop pollinating. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they it just basically they forget. And uh you know, I, and you know, if you even if you completely banned them right now, you would still have so many residual effects. I mean, I don't think we realize how pervasive all this stuff is and how it is in everything. I was actually at a meeting Wednesday, and they were talking about plastics and microplastics, and they had samples of spotted sea trout from Galveston Bay going back to the 1950s, and they had microplastics uh, in there. You know tissue in the muscle tissue which we you know the part we eat and you know it's so it's 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 there are so many things everywhere and you know they didn't even they were just looking at microplastics no telling how many uh you know uh, legacy uh you know pesticides and stuff were in there too so it just it just goes to show it's like you know it's something that gets in the environment and we're going to be dealing with it a long time even if we just cold turkey stopped it right now so you know it's it's i think you know, i think god always has a way and finds a way to 
fix things, but yeah, this probably, may be we, we uh, have to cooperate. Yeah, we have uh, to cooperate and do it. Maybe a minor, uh, a minor league that could turn into a major, major league form of human of uh, uh, chastisement here. Uh, a la Pompeii, Martinique, and Jamaica, uh, because as she says now, almost she says almost half of all U.S. farmland is planted with pesticide-coated seeds. Yeah, yeah. And despite, well, and this is despite the EPA basically losing a court battle, where the court ruled against it and said, "You got to know, you you got to stop using glyphosate." I can't tell you how many of my neighbors right here in this little neighborhood, I see them out there spraying their driveway with glyphosate. And I want to go up to them, and I, I guess I need to get some courage and go, Don, you spray that on the damn plant. If it rains, it's going to go down into the freaking ditch, and it's going to go into the drinking water. Ultimately, it gets into the water set, the water table. You can't get it out once it's in there. Am I right? Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it stays in there a long time. And then, you know these half lives on these things are just amazing and and and, and pervasive. But you know I've heard many priests and good priests say the worst punishment God can give you is you know giving exactly giving you exactly what you ask for. You know people want to be rich, they want to be famous, they want to do all this stuff, and a lot of these things have allowed that to happen. Well, it's it's in them ending up punishing us. So, you know, it's just, you know, when you get too greedy and everything, that's what's happening. And, you know, we just took a lot of this stuff for granted because we want things instantly. We want it pretty. We want it right now. And we want it all year long. And, you know, it just that's a, that's goes against natural law. So. And, and, and again, this is all uh, this is all of us. They're all decisions that are made every day that uh, you have to change. Um, uh, now, I don't believe believe Dan Mundy. Bring Dan back. Uh, looking at this article written by Amy Von Son, I don't believe that I would agree on Ms. Van with. M- M- just looking at her photograph, I would agree with her on very many things. However, a believer conclusion in the article you sent me is correct. To save these essential pollinators' habitats and biodiversity, we must continue to take these corporations and the government agencies created to regulate them to court. We will eat and we will all rely on honeybees and other pollinators to create and sustain our food supply. It is a moral and ecological imperative that we do everything possible to sustain the bees. You agree, right? I definitely agree, and I also agree from the looks of her. I kind of had the same impression when I looked at her photo. <laughs> but, well, I don't. Uh, I mean, you know, again, like you can't let the enemy, the, the good, be the perfect of the enemy. She's an attorney for the Center for Food Safety. You know, anything that has center in its uh, definition is probably compromised. But just reading the article, I don't find any errors in it. She says all the right things. She uh, quotes a, a, a study here. Um, uh, and, and, and to me, the fact that the, that this is now being talked about and it's being talked about uh, not just among uh, regenerative farmers. It's being talked about by people who just go like, hey, I like this particular food. I'm not going to be able to get it anymore because the bees that pollinated are being killed. Well, and, and look at what, what what is everybody's answer to it, not not what is being promoted by the article or, or things that we talk about or even regenerative farming or people trying to go back to the land. What, the, what, what, is, what is the society, what is big tech, big ag's answer to it? Uh, multi-level indoor controlled environment growing 
we've talked about that. We showed some some people on us other pictures of that. They're building these giant warehouses to go everything, and they're going to pollinate it with robots, and they're going to pick it with robots. They're going to plant it with robots. They're going to water it with robots, and they're going to get rid of the bees. Yeah. We're, we don't need the bees anymore, better Turk. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, no, we do. We, <laughs> we don't need the bees. We need the we need the UPS drivers, and we need the bees too. <laughs> so, all right, we're gonna have to leave it there. We uh, unfortunately are out of time. Uh, this episode of Free Farm Friday will be available at CrusadeMax.com. All right, uh, Mitter Money, thank you very much. Uh, God thank bless you, you and you. Godspeed on your farming activities. We'll see you next week. Yeah, just put, put a little baking soda on that on those mushrooms. I think they'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Mitter Coke, uh, God bless you and all your farming activities. Uh, keep pounding on that aluminum and uh, aluminum-based uh, uh, baking powder and baking all those wonderful goods and wrapping your ribs in aluminum foil. And uh, we will see your brain dead uh, behind next week. We'll, we'll hope so. I might have some stuff come up for work, so we'll, I'll keep you posted. But All right, brother. Y'all. Sounds good.